Well, I'm excited this morning to be starting a new series that we're going to be in over the next few weeks called Devoted and Led. And it's going to be a series that we're going to be taking from the book of Acts. And here's what we're going to be doing. Sometimes I am taken back to messages that I've preached before. Sometimes I'm taken back to series that I've preached before, and I just kind of feel like a leading to go back uh, sometimes. And, and Brother uh, Sanders, the pastor that was here before me for 27 years, he used to say that the people of God have always been called to circle back and to go places that they have been before. Uh, and he would use the illustration of the Israelites in the wilderness. And for 40 years, 40 different times, God said to them, take another lap. And so that's what we're going to do here in the book of Acts. Yes, we've had series from the book of Acts before. Uh, we've done Bible studies on Wednesday nights from the book of Acts. But, and so none of this probably will be new to you. Uh, some of it may be new, but, uh, but it's extremely important that we understand that we are reminded that we have been called just like the body of Christ back in that day. We have been called to be devoted to our mission, to be devoted to the body of Christ, and to be led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, because here's the deal. The, the last time that we, we looked, the last series that I did on the book of Acts, we called it The Movement. And I did it during the summer, and it was like 15 weeks long. I assure you, we're not going that long in this one. But we did like a 15-week uh, series throughout the summer uh, on the book of Acts. And I remember as I go, went through it, uh, we were doing it in the summer, and I remember thinking, and I think I even said during that series Man, why am I doing this in the summer? Because everybody in the church needs to hear this message, right? And in the summer, we have so many people that are traveling and out doing and various things. But, but here's the deal. The, the, the book of Acts teaches us that since the beginning, uh, the history of the church as we know it today was just that. It was a movement that broke out. In their world, in that culture, in that society, in that day, it was a movement of people that were sold out and devoted to and led by the Holy Spirit. And it was this movement that you and I refer to and we call the church today. And, and today is basically going to be a, more of an introduction to where we're just kind of laying the groundwork behind, behind the idea uh, of this series. From, uh, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today. But I, I want to start by asking you a simple question. And I don't want you to answer out loud. I just want you to think about the first thing that pops in your head. What do you think of when you hear the word church? What's the first thing that pops in your mind? I was your pastor. I did this myself. First thing popped in my mind when I thought of church, stained glass windows. I don't know. That's, that's where I went, stained glass windows. You know, I, I don't know what you think of, what thoughts come into your mind when you think of the word church, uh, but I would guess that it's probably not exactly the same way as what they understood it back here in the book of Acts at its very beginning. The church from the very beginning was a movement that developed from this deep-rooted conviction that Jesus had died as the only Savior for sinners and that He had risen from the dead. 
And by doing this, by dying on the cross for our sins and, and being raised up again alive, he proved that he was who he said he was, and that's the Messiah and the King of kings and the Lord of lords over all the earth. And that truth, that reality that, that they knew without a shadow of, uh, of a doubt, that, that truth is the reality that all people, all of creation, all of humanity, everywhere, were now commanded to believe in Jesus, place their faith in Him, surrender their life to Him, repent of their sins, and be invited into a relationship with Jesus and spend their eternity in heaven with Him. Now, in the original Greek language of the New Testament, and I'm not a Greek scholar, by the way, so don't come up to me and start saying, well, what does this Greek word mean? I'll be like, Google it. That's what I do, all right? Uh, but the Greek word uh, in the New Testament that is translated church in the English language comes from the word ecclesia, ecclesia, however you want to say it. But the, uh, in fact, if you, you break down this word, uh, it simply means an assembly or a gathering of people around a similar idea. It comes from, uh, Ecclesia comes from uh, E-K, E-K, meaning out of, and Kaleo, meaning called out. So think of Ecclesia like this, as an assembly of people who have been called out to join together around this similar idea. But over the years... As many of you know, this isn't a newsflash to you. An unfortunate thing happened. People began to think of church as a place that you went for religious services. Church became a place that people simply went to have a religious service. And sadly, this shift in thinking, it changed the fundamental way that people even related to the church and the body of Christ. Instead of people being the church, people started going to church. Instead of being the church, they went to church. And it was an event that you sat through rather than a movement or a family that you were a part of and devoted to. And so what happened was is uh, this, this change that took place in the way people viewed the church and viewed the body of Christ was what happened was that the church became an institution. An institution that was simply there to provide services for the people who would attend. And sadly, it was often controlled by powerful people in the community. It was often controlled by the wealthy people of the community, and they used it to serve their own interest and what they liked and what they didn't like and what they wanted and what they didn't want. And the state of the church over the past hundreds of years has just continued to decline as people have missed out on what the church really is and who the church really is. But then history tells us that something awesome happened. 
And God raised up a group of people called the Reformers. Uh, One of the uh, main ones for the English-speaking world was a man by the name of William Tyndall. And Tyndall came to this conviction, this leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. He came to this conviction that Christianity was not just a religion. You hear me now? Christianity is not just a religion. And he became convicted by that. But he, he began to, God began to burden his heart and, and, and burn in his soul that it's, it, it's not a religion, but instead it's essentially this movement that people are called to be devoted to and led by the Holy Spirit in their journey with this family. And that if people were going to be devoted to the movement, if people were going to be devoted to the body of Christ, then they had to understand the message for themselves. Because they had a lot of leaders that were standing before them in the day that were telling them, you don't need to read Scripture. We'll read it to you and we'll tell you what you need to know about it and understand. And Tyndall was just like, that flies in the face of everything about Jesus to me. And so, you know, he, he began to have this passion that people needed to have the message themselves and they need to understand the message themselves. And so it became his life calling that was placed on him by God to work and produce the first translation of the Bible in the English language. And every time he came to the word ecclesia in the Greek, original Greek, he translated it congregation instead of church. And, and what he was trying to do was emphasize to the readers in the English language that the church was not a place that you went to, but it was a family and a group of people that you belonged to. And it didn't go over very well. It didn't go over well at all. In fact, it infuriated church leaders because they felt like it undermined Um, the authority that they had, and they were threatened by that. And eventually, Tyndall was tried as a heretic, and he was hanged, and he was burned at the stake. During his trial, and right before he died, he said this, If God spares my life, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the Scriptures than you do as he's speaking to these religious leaders that were so against what he was trying to do and trying to accomplish. And his last recorded words were a prayer where he simply said, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And if you've ever owned a King James Version Bible, you can see that God did indeed answer that prayer. But friends, this is what the church is. It's an assembling of people together built around a movement. A group of people who are devoted first and foremost to Jesus and devoted to one another. It's not a group of people. It's not a movement that is led by man. It must be led by the Holy Spirit working in and through 
men and women. But here's the danger. The danger is that we get caught up in culture. The danger is that we get caught up in this cultural notion where the church ceases to be what we've been called to be, what we've been commanded to be, what we've been encouraged to be all throughout Scriptures. And instead, we've simply have become an organization that simply just continues to provide services to people, or even worse, a place that people just simply attend. And so these are the questions that I want us to wrestle with over the next few weeks. And I I think you're only being fair to yourself if you'll be honest as you answer these questions and we, we... make our way through the book of Acts, learning what it was meant for the church to be. But these are the questions we're going to struggle with over the next few weeks. Is the church today an organization that just is here to meet the needs of the people that attend? Is the church today an organization that just provide services? Is the church today just a place that people attend? Something that they come to or go to? And so these are the questions for us today. And over the next several weeks that I pray we will honestly ask ourselves as we unpack this powerful book of Acts and that we'll be open to what it means to us today. And, and my hope is that for some of us, that maybe perhaps through this series and what God wants to speak into our lives through His Word and through His Spirit, that church will become more than just a place that you attend. But it will be something that you are devoted to, passionately devoted to, understanding who you are as the body of Christ and the importance of that relationship. And also, you'll be available to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to God's Word and see how this all begins this morning. Give us some context to this passage of Scripture that uh, Dana Martin read for us. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. reading our passage for us during our worship today. But to give us some content, uh, context, uh, Jesus had resurrected from the dead, right? He had appeared to the disciples. He had appeared to hundreds more. There, there are references in Scripture that uh, he, he met hundreds of people after the resurrection. But here he's gathered his disciples together on a hillside. And we'll pick it up here in verse 6 of chapter 1. God's word says this. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they they still don't fully get and realize. They are, you know, in other words, they're asking, okay, okay, so we get it. We get it because we all are the ones that get it, right? We're right when everybody else is wrong. And, and so that's, that's where they were. They, they, they're like, okay, now we get it. We get it. We understand what you were saying, Jesus. 
You know, now you, you, you were crucified. We get that whole deal. You've, been, you've risen from the dead. That, you know, that opens up a whole new window for us to see through because now we understand who you are and what you came for specifically. So what's next, right? Well, what's our next move? Because we know that after this, and you've gotten a lot of people's attention through this, that now is where the rubber's going to hit the road, and this is where it's going to get even better. What's next? What's coming? And Jesus said to him there in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and this word witness that is used here is a familiar term to us in the English language. It was a word that was used back then uh, as a term that was used in court. Still is today, right? A witness uh, is someone who testifies about something they have seen, right? A witness is someone who testifies about something that they have knowledge of. A witness is someone that, uh, uh, you know, their job isn't really to do anything. A witness's job is just to simply tell people what has already happened. A witness's job is to tell people about what has already been done. That's what a witness is. Verse 9, after he said this, after he told them this, what does he do? He disappears. <laughs> he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hit him from their sight. Verse 10, they were looking intently. I, I think that's some curious wording right there. It's probably not how I would have put that. I'm sure it was befuddled might have been the proper word here to use, but I don't have my own translation of the Bible yet. So They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So, you know, I talk about it a, a, a lot. Um, in Scripture, I just like to put myself in the story. Put myself in their, some, you know, their situation or in their shoes. So put yourself in their shoes right now. I, I want you to think about what they've just experienced. Can you imagine? This had to be one of the strangest things, <laughs> one of the most hard-to-believe scenes that they had ever witnessed. And friends, they had witnessed some pretty amazing stuff with Jesus. But now, Jesus gives them this huge task, this, this almost unthinkable, unbelievable assignment one of the biggest assignments that anyone could possibly ever be given, and with hardly no explanation at all, not even a plan of action for this huge task that he's just assigned them, he gone. <laughs> he just disappears. What are you thinking there? What the what? What did he just say? You know, I, I'm sure they were like, 
First, he's gone. That is crazy insane. But did he not just tell us that he wanted to tell this story to the whole wide world? And then they're like, where is he going? Where did he go? How do we do this? What does this look like? Right? Do you realize how big the whole world is? And what's funny about that, the funny thing about this, they don't have any clue how big the whole world is, right? They don't have any idea how big this assignment truly is. And so can you imagine, there's probably a little confusion in the moment. There's probably a little chaos in the moment that's going on here. And 2,000 years later, here we are with more Christians on planet earth than any other religious group of people and it all started right here with 12 guys who weren't qualified to do what they had been assigned they were carpenters they were fishermen good grief a tax collector of all things and so this morning some of you will be so glad to know. I only have two points today. And these two points are really going to be our focus over the next several weeks. These disciples, I want you to think about what they had experienced, what they had seen. These disciples were so captivated by what had transpired. They were so captivated by Jesus and what he had taught and the miraculous things that he had done. And then the power of a resurrection. Friends, they were so captivated by that that they couldn't focus on anything else. They couldn't do anything else other than be devoted to it. To be devoted to him. They were devoted to it they were devoted to Jesus they were devoted to being witnesses they were devoted to doing what they had been called to do so what were they devoted to well think about it because of what they had seen and because of what they had experienced they were convinced that there's no doubt whatsoever that Jesus had come to this earth and died as a substitute for sinners and it was obvious that he wasn't just another prophet. He, he wasn't just another prophet with another religious message, but instead, he was God himself. He was God wrapped in flesh that came to earth. And the reason that he came is because he was on a rescue mission to save every single one of us. He was on a rescue mission to save us all from our sins. And so what did we do? We killed him. We crucified him. Oh, Steve, don't hang that on me. I wasn't there. I wouldn't have voted that way. Uh-uh. I'd have voted Republican. I would not have voted that way. Right? Well, if you have ever sinned, you were there. If you have ever sinned, you were there. And he took your sin upon himself as he went to the cross and he suffered for you. And he died for you. 
because God's very own creation that He had made, and He had given them the freedom to be able to make choices, the freedom to make decisions and decide for themselves. And God's very own creation made our own choices, and a lot of people were deciding then, and a lot of people are still deciding today that they had rather run their own lives rather than to surrender their life to Him. But you know what's ironic about that? You know, a lot of times people say, you know, people throw out that verse, God uses, you know, all things to work together for good for those who love Him. And there'll be preachers that stand up and say, you can't use that out of context, you know, and all this. And it's to don't use Scripture out of context. This is just another example where God takes something that was really, really bad and did something really, really good for you and me. It's almost ironic what happened. Humanity murdered him. But his death, his sacrificial death, was the payment that God accepted for our sins. That death of his son was the payment that God accepted for your sins sin if only you would acknowledge him receive him and surrender your life and your will to him and so these disciples they knew that Jesus had come to die for sinners they had no doubt about that whatsoever Jesus had made that clear well what else do we know about these disciples well we also know that they were now devoted to the fact that he was alive again. They were devoted to the fact that, yes, he died for sinners, but he's not dead anymore. He is alive. And they were committed. They were devoted to that story, that message. Why would they buy such a crazy story? Because they were there. They experienced it. They witnessed it. They saw him dead. They saw him alive. Why would they believe such a ridiculous thing? Because they were now what? Witnesses. They were now witnesses. This proved to them beyond any doubt whatsoever that Jesus was who He said He was, that Jesus was the Messiah. And the disciples understood that if this were true, and they had no doubt whatsoever it was true, matter of fact, they were willing to put their lives on the line to continue saying that it was true, when people said, if you don't stop saying that, we're going to kill you. But yet, they knew that this was the greatest act of grace that you could ever imagine. This was the greatest act of grace that you could ever even dream up. God, the creator of all things. God, the creator of all people dying for them, dying for the ones that he created, dying because of their rebellion. Crazy story. And this message was of the greatest importance ever because it was humanity's only hope for salvation from death and from hell. And when they knew this, they understood this, and they realized, they're like, that's everybody. 
That's what he means by the whole world. Only way that people can be saved is through Jesus and through this truth that we know. And if this were true, and what they believed about Jesus to be true, and what they had seen and what they had witnessed, if all this were true, then you know what? There aren't other ways to get to heaven. There's not another way to even get to God. If there were other ways of salvation, if there were other ways to get to heaven, do you think that God would have put His Son through these beatings in the cruel cross of Calvary? When Jesus said in the garden... You know, if there's any other way, Father, let's do it. He said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Well, friends, if there was any other way other than the way of Jesus, wouldn't God have said, there are other ways? (laughs) Don't you think he would? Oh, you just be a good person. You you don't cheat too much on your income tax. You know, you, you, you just be good. You kind of be honest. Just be a good person, be sincere, and then God, He'll accept you if you're good. But Jesus had said this in His teaching. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That was slanderous. That was was bad. That's real bad. For Jesus to say that. But now, oh, it's beginning to make sense. The only way to be saved was because Jesus died for me. And he was resurrected for me. It's the only way. And the disciples believed him. They believed it with all their heart. Peter would later on summarize these disciples' message over in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 this way. Salvation is found in no one else. Friend, if you don't hear anything else that I've said today, hear this. Salvation is found in no one else. It's found in nothing else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And the disciples would take this message all over the world that they knew, and they were devoted to it. They were committed to it. They had seen and experienced something so powerful and so glorious in Jesus' death that it was something worthy of them devoting their lives to. It must be spread among all the people of the world. It must. You see, they understood the urgency of it. They understood the power of it. The only way to the Father is through the Son. The only way to eternal life is through the Son. They got it, and they were committed to it, and they were devoted to it. And when they dragged these disciples in front of the Sanhedrin court, and they told them, you either shut up about Jesus or we're going to kill you, They basically said, well, you've got to do what you've got to do, and I've got to do what I've got to do. And we must get this message out. We must get this message to others, to the world, and remain faithful to our Jesus.
So here's my question this morning. Do you believe this? I know, it's kind of crazy, right? Honestly, I don't think you would be here today if you didn't believe it or at least entertain it. That it's true. But do you really believe it? Have you really experienced it in your life? Has the power of who our God is and what Jesus has done for you, does the magnitude of what took place, has that captured your heart? Has that captured your attention? To the point that you're devoted to it every day? And not just every once in a while on Sunday? Are you so devoted to it that you are willing to go anywhere or give anything up for it? If not, if you're not willing to go anywhere to do anything or to give up anything, are you really devoted to it? The disciples were devoted to the message that Jesus is the salvation of the world. Are you? Second thing about this new family of God is this. They were led by the Holy Spirit. Go back on the scene here in our scripture again. Jesus gives them this huge assignment, huge task, then he leaves. Think about it. Never had a more important assignment been given to more less qualified people, right? I mean, it just hadn't happened. But the key is in verse 8 when Jesus tells them this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power to carry out this assignment. I know it looks overwhelming. You're looking at it and going, I can't do this. I can't be devoted to this every single day. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know what's going on in my world. You don't know what's going on in my family. Oh, yes, he does. And he said, I'm going to send you a helper because I know you can't do it. You're not qualified to do it, number one. And number two, you're probably the least qualified person here besides the pastor. <laughs> Here's what's interesting. This assignment isn't something that we have to do for Jesus. And I, and I think maybe that's where we kind of get messed up in our theology sometimes. This isn't something that we do for Jesus. This is something that He will do through you for Him. Right? We're not just doing this for Jesus. What He wants to do is do something through you for Him through the power of His Spirit. Because you can't save a soul. <laughs> you can't do what He can do. And in every chapter here in the book of Acts, you get this sense that the church is simply just allowing the Spirit to lead them. 
that, that the church is allowing the Spirit to, to lead, and they're following the lead of the Spirit. They just simply yielded themselves to Jesus, and they followed the Spirit. So let's make it personal this morning before we go. Let's make it personal. I want you to look at verse 8 here again. And I want you to read it like it's a direct statement to you from Jesus. But you, now insert your name there. If you're a Christian, put your name right there. But you, Steve, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness. He has empowered you as a part of the body. He has empowered you as the church, we call it today. He's empowered you as the congregation. He's, a, he's empowered you as the assembly. He's empowered you as the movement. He's empowered you as the body, which, oh, the, by the way, He is the head of. And oh my goodness, Lynette, remind me, was that in your Bible study last week? You were sharing with me that if you're separated from the head, that's so good. I'm going to use that later. Don't let me forget. Not, not today. We're wrapping up today, okay? But He has empowered you as a part of His church to be what? Witnesses. That's what we've been empowered to do, to be witnesses. Are you yielding to and following the Holy Spirit in your assignment? Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and this book of Acts. It's believed that he wrote the book of Acts that we're studying here. And I, I want to point out uh, something interesting to you about these two books. Anytime you see someone who is filled with the Spirit, that's following the leading of the Spirit, they proclaim the Word of God to other people. All right? Just a few examples. Luke 1.15 says, John the Baptist, being filled with the Spirit, proclaims the coming of the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 41, Elizabeth, being filled with the Spirit, proclaimed a blessing over Mary. Luke 1, 67, Zechariah, being filled with the Spirit, prophesied about the coming glory of Jesus Christ. Acts 2, verse 4, the Holy Spirit fills the apostles at Pentecost, and they began to declare God's praises and the message in multiple languages. Acts chapter 4 verse 8, Peter is filled with the Spirit and he preaches to the rulers, those leaders that hated to hear this message. He preached to them that Jesus was their only hope for salvation. Acts 4 31, the disciples are filled with the Spirit and they speak the Word of God boldly in the face of severe persecution. Acts 9.20, Paul is filled with the Spirit, and he immediately begins to preach the Word of God in the synagogues. Can I just ask you this morning, is this you? Is this you? Are you proclaiming God's Word to others and leading them to Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit? These disciples were led by the Holy Spirit in all that they did and in all that they said. Are you? These are the two core principles that started the church as we know it. A radical, deep belief and devotion to the message. And two, 
yielding to and following the Spirit who moved them. Don't miss this, friends. The greatest ministry of our church happens outside of those walls by you. By you. Oh, but we pay staff to do that. You have missed it completely if that thought ever crosses your mind. I never want us to be just a Christian ministry that takes care of our own needs or to be a place where people just attend. We must be devoted to the cause of Christ and we must be led by the Holy Spirit and if not what are we doing here in the weeks ahead we're going to be talking more about this and what it looks like the question is this will you be willing to join me on this journey because this is isn't just a journey that I want you to go through. This is a journey that I need to go through as your pastor. Because we go through everything that we go through together. Because we're all a part of one body. I just would ask you today, will you join me on this journey as we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit to understand maybe a little better than we did before, what it means to be devoted and led. Being devoted to Jesus. Being devoted to this message. And being led by the Spirit of God. Let me pray for us. God, again, I just want to thank you today of this awesome reminder of the love that you have for us. You, you created us. I doubt that there's anybody here today in this room that doesn't believe that, that you created humans. But God, we believe some of the stuff that seems a little easier to believe because maybe it's backed up by science and other things. But God, the question is today is do, do we believe in who you are as our Savior? And what you did for us on the cross of Calvary was because it was something that we couldn't do for ourselves. We could not save ourselves. And so you did the only thing that could be done so that we could be saved. God, I pray that you'll forgive me for not being always as devoted to that as I ought to be. I just pray that you'll help me. Um, you'll continue to fill me with your spirit that would lead me and guide me. I would be led by you and I will follow you. And God, that you would just use me as a tool to help these that are family to me be devoted and led by the Spirit as well. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what the end result is. Well, I do know. It's going to be gathered around your throne. 
celebrating and praising you for all of eternity. I don't really know what this looks like tomorrow. But whatever it is, I know that I'll have your help. We'll have your help. And I thank you for that. We love you today. Thank you for adopting us into the family of God. And if there be one person here today that has never really committed, never really surrendered. God, I'm just going to trust what you're doing right now in their heart and their life. That today would be a day of that taking place. Maybe there's some here that accepted you a long time ago, but some of this just rang in their ears and challenged their heart about how devoted they've been to you and to the body of Christ. So God, I'm trusting you with what you're going to do. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're going to do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Before I dismiss you, I just want to share with you, some of you may have heard about a movie that's in the theaters right now called Paul's Promise. It is a movie about uh, Brother Paul, who started Friendly Chapel uh, Church of the Nazarene in North Little Rock. I'll just share with you, 51 years ago, Brother Paul Holderfield and Barbara had a dream much down the line of Dr. Martin Luther King's. A dream that in a little church in North Little Rock at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, it would not be the most segregated hour in North Little Rock, even if it was in America. 51 years ago, Brother Paul and Sister Barbara sought to be a sermon seen in a little part of downtown North Little Rock. They gave their lives to serving Jesus by serving Jesus' kids. 51 years later, they have served over a million of his kids. Loved on, fed, clothed, valued, housed, and given scholarships in his name. Never received a government grant knowing that it was God's will for Friendly Chapel not to. The grant he gave, he granted us friends like you. Thank you so much. You can check out Paul's Promise on the the internet, and I'm sure it will be available to be downloaded. But right now, it is showing in theaters uh, here in Arkansas. Conway Theater has been showing it Friday, yesterday, and they're showing it today. And I believe today and tonight are the last showings. But you will be blessed by a man of God that was devoted to the message and led by the Spirit of God, Brother Paul Holderfield. I love you guys. Have a great week. God bless.